What is Dolly Parton selling us? What is Dolly Parton selling us? What has Dolly Parton sold us? Today I heard Dolly Parton singing a cover of her own song, Jolene, 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 Jolene. Da, 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 leave my man, Jolene. Jolene's kind of an interesting song. It's like, it's a woman singing a song to another woman about, please don't steal my man. Today, Dolly Parton was doing a little marketing song where she covered Jolene and sang, Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Uh, And then she went on to call people cowards and told people to not be such chickens. Cowards, chickens, and then an old fuddy-duddy Old fuddy-duddy doctor, who we didn't really get to see the doctor was, other than a brief cameo of just an old fuddy-duddy, kind of shaped like, I don't know what that shape is, like a, not quite an egg, kind of like a, what is that shape? And then he kind of like administered a needle into her arm and you didn't really see any kind of close-up or anything. Whether or not Dolly Parton got injected is a whole other case of myopic study. The Questions I am left with when I see someone like Dolly Parton marketing something, well, the first question that comes to mind is, what else has Dolly marketed to us? And the very first things were boob jobs, hairdos, long lashes, glue-on fingernails, lipstick, blush, Masks of skin masks, plastic surgeries, working nine to five. And then the deeper ponderings lead Me to a memory of driving in my truck on the way to work. And it was after the vaccines were first, first manufactured, ready to hit the public. And I was listening to the National Pretentious Radio. I mean, National Public Radio. I mean, National Propaganda Radio. I mean, Nancy Pelosi Radio. I mean... National Propaganda Radio. I was listening to NPR. Fighting off gags and laughter and OMGs and enjoying the patronizing dish to me in soft tones of 
Yale professors who've been in the institutions forever and ever interviewed about this and that, and they were talking about the Operation Warp Speed in the marketing so that now that the vaccines were manufactured, the billions of dollars that were part of Operation Warp Speed, part of it was the manufacturer of the other one was the marketing of and the three ladies on this NPR program were talking about how that was going to going to go into Operation Warp Speed the the begging and convincing and marketing and advertising of something that from their studies were showing that Half the people don't want it. Half the people here, half the people there, half the people everywhere, near, far, that half the people don't want it. That makes me think of all sorts of things, the half the people don't want it. And where and how these studies even come from, who they're asking... Are they reaching that decision through social media? Are they making cold calls? Where are they getting that data? I don't know. The half the people don't want it. You know, I like viewing things sometimes through a sports lens. Oftentimes when two teams are competing... The smallest thing can be a game changer, either just a super athlete on one team or a corrupt referee making one or two calls can sway what is almost a coin toss. I find it interesting that football begins with a coin toss of who kicks and who receives first. and But football begins with a coin toss. And if you were to think about professionals who are highly attuned and highly trained and this is their job to compete that if you put 11 professionals facing off against 11 professionals in theory it's a 50-50 coin toss of who's going to win that game and I think that the 50-50 the half the people this half the people that is an interesting breakdown of people and it let's just go off on the 50-50s of things we've got civilization and we have wilderness we've got the wild wilderness and we have the tamed civilization kind of a 50-50 we got rural people farmers and we got urban people bankers What are some other 50-50s? We've got men, we've got women, we've got adults, we've got children. We've got owners and we've got renters. We've got doctors, we have patients. There's all sorts of 50-50s. And 
looking at things through that lens, that's a pretty fair, even, balanced breakdown. You got half on one side of the seesaw and the other half on the other side of the seesaw. And the half and half, the 50-50, creates a type of balance. We have a right hand and a left hand. We got a right foot, left foot, right nostril, left nostril. We got a left lung, a right lung. Now, there are some things there's only one of. We each only have one heart. But we have a whole different hue, a spectrum of hues of pigments to our skin from dark to light, from black to white. We've got a lot of 50-50. Now, one of the byproducts of a frustrating part of that 50-50 is the one or zero. That computer program that somehow is the code, the one or zero code that's the language that a lot of computer programming is based on. And similar, they say, with our muscle cells, it's either an on or an off. You're either firing that muscle cell or you're not firing that muscle cell or that muscle fiber. It's either on or it's off. And a, a dense, flexed muscle the denser, the more flexed, the more muscle fibers or cells are on. The more relaxed, soft, the more of those muscle fibers and cells are off. <laughs> we have batteries. They're charged with a plus and a minus. Sort of a, a balance or a... a, a a feedback loop that is generated with a sort of back and forth feedback, roundy round, dosy do, that positive and negative. We have male and female. We have the yin and the yang symbol. A lot of 50-50s. And so the idea of why... Is there a type of marketing that wants homogeneousness, that wants homogeny, that wants a one-size-fits-all? Why, why would 50-50 be wrong? Why would it be inadequate? Why does there even have to be a marketing? It seems that the marketing is directed at the 50% that doesn't want it. Interesting to me regarding mar marketing is that Generation X, I believe, was named Generation X by the advertising industry because the advertising and market industry couldn't figure out how to sell products to that generation. So the advertising industry coined the term Generation X. And I believe I remember hearing that because the marketing industry and advertising industries were so combined uh, they were perplexed by the un-sponginess, the unbrainwashability, the the not buying it. The Gen X is just they just weren't buying it. 
I am in Generation X. I used to look at my dad and his comfortable suburban lifestyle. And pardon my sinuses, I have some bad allergies right now. The when I was looking at my dad as a young generation, I was a young generation Xer looking at my dad who would be a boomer. And my dad was actually just before the boomers. He was born in 1940. The boomers really start increasing around the post-World War II. I guess the stories of United States boomers there's a big, big population explosion in the 40s of lots of babies being born. And the theory goes that the, the dam was sort of broken after World War II ended. Troops come home, jobs resume, people are living uh, the sort of, uh, you could call it, they're living the American way. They are propelling themselves up a socioeconomic condition where a flood of people are first-time homeowners, landholders, like their little piece of the pie. And suburban sprawl is sort of in its infancy, white flight from cities. They called it white flight. There's this just boom of babies being born and created in that frenzy of World War, of just all the efforts for World War II ending and then the Energy that was pouring into war is now pouring into birth. The population boom was worldwide. During these same years, it was in China, it was in Japan, it was in Europe, it was all over the world. And that's partly why it was called a world war. So World War II, you have a lot of death energy and then World War II ends and you have a lot of birth energy. There's a 50-50, life and death. One and zero, on or off, dark or light, dead or alive, ugly or beautiful, love or hate. So you have this sort of uh, energy of birth, Population boom all around the world. Those are the boomers. The boomers, they're buying up all the all the stuff. The marketing, the marketing was kind of in a boom of of creation too. A lot of marketing after World War II. And you can imagine having an industry that was making tanks. And that same industry that was making tanks still had employees and a lot of employees and a lot of parts and a lot of metal and a lot of nuts and bolts. And instead of tanks, the tanks became lawnmowers and the tanks became weed whackers. So that's the birth of the landscaping industry. That's a fact. 
The landscaping industry is born out of the nuts and bolts of the products that were going toward the war that were then repackaged into suburban living. And there were actually magazines that looked like Time Magazine and People Magazine that were uh, inconspicuous. They were not listed as an advertisement. It looked no different than Time, but the magazine had a hidden subliminal agenda that overtly appeared as articles of how to have the perfect lawn and then there would be a nice cherry ad for a sweet lawnmower on the next page and then there might be some spiritual article about if your neighbor's lawn is unkempt now your neighbor has spiritual problems and so then there became a moral ethical enmeshment between lawn care and spirituality. Somehow lawn care became the reflection of some inner spiritual thing. So that's something one might want to look at is where the intersection of capitalism and spiritualism meet. What gets birthed out of the lovemaking session of capitalism and spiritualism? A lot of self-help books, a lot of pseudoscience, astrology, a lot of law of attraction. Gurus. One thing that gets birthed post-World War II, you have to understand, World War II ends. And this is the beginning of the colonization from Russia, the Soviet Union, Stalinism. Stalinism, Stalin was a dictator. Stalin was a tyrant. Stalin was on a mission to make the Soviet Union an industrial nation. Stalin had what he called the five-year plan. The five-year plan was a prison system, ultimately, of what's called gulag. Gulag is like a system of prisons where 246 prisons were created and there became a cultural dragnet of sorts where all sorts of people throughout the Soviet Union are put into these prison camps, put into the gulag all over the Soviet Union, ultimately as forced free slave labor to execute turning the Soviet Union into an industrialized network, an industrialized system. And all sorts of other atrocities are happening all around the Soviet Union during Stalinism. Stalinism is important to understand because we see echoes of things like Stalinism in a lot of our 
authorities' speeches, their, their mandates, what the NSA is doing, what the CIA and FBI are doing. We see a lot of rhymes or echoes or offshoots or copycatting or learning from Maybe it's just evil being evil. I don't know. But we see Stalinism and prison camps. So that's going on in the Soviet Union while in the United States. There's a suburban sprawl boom and a lot of celebration of the war being over. But in the Soviet Union, there's prisons. And that system is spreading. And within that system, there's famines. And... In places like the Ukraine, Stalin purposely engineered a famine. And the famine wound up killing millions and millions of Ukrainians. And part of this strategy is and was a way to industrialize the Soviet Union. What is industrialized? What is an industry? Well, there's lots of industries. What is industrialization? There's there's agricultural industrialization, big, big farmlands, industrial corn deserts, industrial wheat deserts, where you just have wheat and corn. And industrialization is often about efficiency, Mass. So if you can have a machine that can harvest a million acres of wheat, you can just run that machine over a giant field of wheat and it's just fast, it's massive. You have all sorts of other industries. At the time, there was, of course, a race to understand and build nuclear, so nuclear power plants, energy, The Germans became so powerful so fast overnight to where the world could not stop them. And it took the world years to stop the Germans because what did the Germans do prior to World War II? The Germans built their power grid infrastructure. They built coal-fired power plants. And in order to create the metal for airplanes and tanks and bombs and missiles and railroad tracks and and everything metal all the all the metal for all the weaponry what did they do prior to the war they built the power grid infrastructure and they built it fast so as to just get it built before the world could really even notice and then almost overnight they built a massive machine a war machine of jets and bombers and tanks and grenades and guns and rifles and missiles they just built a massive military and then they just spread from that outwardly when germany was defeated stalin the soviets they understood the power of radio and of of being the first to take over all of the German radio stations. 
as many as they could take over and get their hands on. So when World War II ends, when the Allies, you have to remember, the United States and the Soviets both defeated Germany. They kind of closed in on both sides at the same time. And the Soviets did everything they could to expand into the German radio stations and control those radio stations. And immediately they recognized the powerful force of media over a population. And so the Soviets just took the radio stations in Austria and Italy and France. And they were just, sorry, I'm sidetracked here. The Soviets took the radio stations in Czechoslovakia, That's what happens when the mind wanders. My mind wandered for a second. I have neighbors, uh, and they are in the sauna. We have a sauna here, and sauna and sauna culture and hot sauna and cold tubs are vital for people's human health and for your immune system and your longevity. So I was thinking about my neighbors who are using the sauna, and my mind wandered, pardon me. This podcast is going to end shortly. I'm going to wrap it up. The Soviets, Stalinism controlled the media of a large swath of the world. And you have to pause for a minute and just think about that. Stalinism at the time was all about control. Stalinism was all about control. Stalin was all about control. Stalinism was all about control. That alone can take us down a lot of different avenues that we can talk about in a future podcast. To wrap up today's podcast, the 50-50 Dolly Parton Jolene sort of tracking backwards. We're back to Dolly Parton and you have to wonder what else has Dolly Parton been selling over the years? Do you know the artist Jackson Pollock? We're going to tie Jackson Pollock into this baby boomer post-World War II era. Jackson Pollock was just an American man who would go to the bar every evening and get in fights and drink beers and hit on the ladies and smoke cigarettes and... (laughs) 